All right, let's go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus, the missing years. Um, How many of you have ever, let's just see by an honest, uh, can we be honest here this morning? All right, some of y'all, I don't know. Uh, An honest show of hands, if you have ever at any time in your life, I mean Sunday school, middle age, old age, whatever, wondered what happened in Jesus's uh, 12 to 20-ish years. Anybody, Anybody ever wondered that before? Okay. Majority of folks, okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to address that question uh, in this way. Um, Normally, with objections to Christianity, um, arguments by skeptics, um, atheistic claims to say God doesn't exist or the Bible's not real or Jesus didn't rise from the dead, um, what we have chosen to do with most of those is we deal with those on our website and in the future we're going to deal with those in series. Because if we dealt with every objection that comes up in every text, we would never get through any of the Bible, right? So what we're going to do today, and this is going to hinge on Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 41 through 52, is verse 52 in Luke chapter 2. And the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And then in chapter 3, you begin with John the Baptist's ministry. And then in the course of John the Baptist's ministry, um, and by the way, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, right? Then Luke chapter 3, you've got uh, John the Baptist, and and, and there uh, Jesus comes in um, verse number 21, and Jesus is baptized there. Jesus is a grown man, and he begins his ministry. Chapter 4. Jesus enters into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So in zero verses, we go from a 12-year-old Jesus who has uh, just gone through the Jewish rites to become a man, the bar mitzvah, a son of the law. We hop straight from that to Jesus as a 30-ish-year-old guy. And here's why we're going to take this morning to deal with this. Um, because of the dirty little secret that's not a secret, in today's world, you can make money on Jesus. Have y'all noticed that? You can have the craziest theory with no backing, but if you publish something that has Jesus and lost in there, for example, Jesus and the lost books of the Bible. Um, there were never any lost books of the Bible, right? God doesn't lose things, right? God's not up in heaven like, oh, I lost the books of the... Does anybody know where James is? Thanks, Gabriel, you found him. It doesn't happen, right? God doesn't lose things. There never lost books of the Bible. And there were never lost years of Jesus. <clears throat> but what's going to happen if we don't deal with things like this in our Christian lives, these objections that come up, if you imagine back to that cruel um, childhood contraption called a seesaw, Now, back when I was a kid, I was skinny, and I was goaded into getting on a seesaw, and when you have a bigger person, they would just launch you up in the air. It was like, it was like when you get launched on a, uh, on a trampoline, but painful, right? It's a cruel thing. Now, here's what happens in, in, in our Christian life, in our walk. When we begin to hear objection, objection, objection against Christianity, it's almost like over here, our faith or our reasons to believe 
gets outweighed. And if we don't deal with those objections, what's going to happen is in our mind, that seesaw or that weight or that measure is going to become so heavy with doubt that even when we open up God's Word in the morning to have our quiet time, we're going to have those voices in our head of, that's not true, what about this, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And it's like we can't even zone in to focus on Scripture. We come to church and we hear the message, but in the back of our mind we have these voices. Um, some of you may have gone to, um, uh, gone to uh, colleges um, honestly, I think it's better. I'm just, I, I may get in trouble here, but I think it's better today for students to go to a secular, pagan, God-hating university than to go to a pseudo-Christian university to where they say, we'll teach you about Jesus, but what we're going to teach you in your religion courses is the Bible is full of errors and Jesus is probably not the Son of God. At least at the secular state pagan university, they let you know where they stand, right? So, I'm not trying to... Anyway, I just said it. We're going we're gonna to move on. But honestly, I believe that with all of my heart. But what, what happens is we hear these voices, we have these arguments against Christianity, and if we don't deal with some of them and kind of even out that scale, we're going to have so much doubt. And the problem with doubt is, well, it can transform into unbelief. You see, Jeff, what is the difference between the two? All right. Does that mean that if I have any doubt at any time about the Christian faith, any part, that I am an unbeliever? No. Here's the difference. Doubt is saying, I'm trying to find truth, but I have some questions. Therefore, I can't totally assume and conclude and believe 100%. Let's say, for example, um, that Jesus is the Son of God. All right. Now, if a person doesn't believe that, they're obviously not a, a Christian in the New Testament sense. But unbelief is saying... I don't believe in the Bible and I'm going to try to do everything I can to make that true. Make my belief against the Bible true. Um, in fact, uh, there's Dr. Gary Habermas, who's a world-renowned expert on the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, he's brilliant. You know what he said? He said 70% of the doubters of, the, of Christianity are emotional doubters. Now, here's what that means. They don't doubt Christianity because of some scientific argument. They don't disagree with uh, the claim that Jesus rose from the dead because of some logical fallacy. They are emotional doubters in the sense that some people have sins that they are unwilling to give up. Y'all okay? That was actually the question many years ago um, by one Christian leader. A man says, I do not believe in the resurrection. And his question was, well, what sin are you unwilling to give up? Because if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then that means that, that changes everything, doesn't it? That means that He has control. He is Lord over, over my, my life. And, and also, some people, they come to the Scriptures and they say, how could God be good when all these things have happened? So therefore, they get cast into unbelief. So what we're going to try to do here this morning is take the question, what did Jesus do between ages 12 and 30? <clears throat> now, our counterclaim this argument is the claim. Here's what you will read on the Internet. Um, most of your professors, if your professors bring this up in class uh, at any college, they, they, it is simply, um, they don't know what they're talking about. All right, This has been disproven on the academic level, but BBC actually did a, um, a documentary about the, quote, lost years of Jesus. And here's how it goes. Jesus, after, um, n- notice verse, verse 50, uh, verse 50, 
uh, one there. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Speaking of Mary and Joseph. So the claim goes like this. By the way, we're going to look and see how this is not founded in history or really anything. The claim says, Jesus as a young Jewish religious revolutionary went on a search looking for spiritual enlightenment. And Jesus on this search and this quest got into part of a caravan that went across northern Afghanistan on the Silk Road all the way into ancient India. And Jesus there studied Buddhism and Hinduism and brought that back and began to teach that after being spiritually enlightened to Palestine. I, I, just for you guys, I just want to let you know how much I love y'all. I sat through the BBC documentary. And so if you heard, if you heard a yelling or anything like that, uh, over in this area of the city yesterday, that was, that was me. All right. One thing that's very difficult to handle is when somebody's trying to sound smart. Have you ever, have you ever experienced somebody like they're trying to use big words and, and, and let you know that they are smart, but their arguments are dumb. Have you ever been there? Like, like there's no substance there. I mean, they've, they've got professors on there, you know, like Coop College in backwoods water somewhere. And they're like, well, you know, we don't even know if Jesus existed. I'm like, get a brain scan. I mean, seriously, it, it was, it was nuts. So, I, man, I sat through it with you guys. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not your pope. All right. All right. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what to read and what I have a lot of things I could recommend to you to read. But honestly, don't waste your time on YouTube going through the Jesus lost year stuff. It is so unfounded. Let me just walk through. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of promo and I'm going to get that off my chest. And we're all going to feel a lot better. Amen. This is going to be so much fun today. I can't wait. All right. Here is a question before we address the Jesus in India searching for spiritual enlightenment claim. Here's the question. Why would, and even this question is formed in a way that's wrong, but we're going to give the skeptics their day in court. Why would the biblical writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, omit, leave out this section of Jesus' life? Meaning his teenage years and his, his, his 20s. Okay, if you're taking notes, please write this down. This is the Bible in one word. Say, Jeff, how can I sum up the Bible in uno logos? One word. Um, the theme of the Bible is redemption. Through and through, from Genesis to Revelation, it is redemption. God is buying back. God is saving. He's rescuing. He's delivering His people from the stupidity and the sin that they have fallen into. It is redemption. Everything else flows from that. So there are, since that is the theme of the Bible, the biblical writers are not going to emphasize things that don't necessarily fit into that. You don't find randomness in the Bible. In fact, if you read any commentary or any critical book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the evangelists. The evangel meaning the gospel. They are telling people the gospel of Jesus. So you say, now Jeff, um, why don't they include more details? Well, even the fact that we would ask that question means that we're probably, I would say, 19th century onward Westerners, okay? 19th. 20th, 21st century. Today, if you read a biography, you can probably, like for Einstein, for example, you can probably find a biography, um, what Einstein liked to eat for breakfast. Okay, question. 
something like that. Like, let, let, let's give an example here. Like, what type of sandals Jesus liked to wear? That has nothing to do with the point and the purpose of Jesus' life, right? Or like, what type of, of, um, of carpentry did Jesus like best? Doesn't fit into the point and the purpose of Jesus' life, alright? Um, the gospel writers are called evangelists. And so why would the evangelist emphasize Jesus' birth in his young years and then his ministry? Well, it, that question is answered by who Jesus was and what he came to do. Let's, let's answer that question. Who was Jesus? Somebody help me out, Sunday school folks. Who was Jesus? Son of the living God. Awesome. That's Peter's confession. Jesus is not just a guy. He's not just a teacher. He's not a guru. He's not Buddha number two. We're going to talk more about that. How dumb. By the way, if anybody ever says, if anybody ever says Jesus was a guru, they are, that is a dumb thing to say. Alright? We're not, we're not saying that we're brilliant people, but there are certain things that you say, things that are just plain uh, dumb. Alright? Like, the Dallas Cowboys and the Redskins are friends. That is a dumb thing to say because it is simply not true. Can I get a witness in Virginia? Alright? Some things you say are just not, okay? And I'm not even going to go to college football because people will get mad at that. Um, I'm not even going to talk about SEC football. So, who was Jesus? Jesus was the Son of God. Next question. If that's the claim of the Bible that Jesus was the Son of the living God, how do I know that's true? Right? It's one thing for Peter to say that. I mean, the guy's shanking people, you know, and going off and jumping off boats. And it, but, but, but how do I know Jesus is the Son of God? Two ways. Supernatural birth. Virgin birth. Right? A supernatural power over death. That's why you see so much concentration in the first few chapters of the Gospels on Jesus and when He came, on the town He was born in. You've got these foreign uh, magistrates, the Magi, who came to see Jesus. All of, why all this detail on His birth? Well, because we have to know that Jesus was virgin born. Because if He was not born of a virgin, then Jesus is just a really disciplined guy, Right? Jesus is just a guy who really memorized a lot of Scripture. And um, for those of you who remember the checklist in Sunday school of yesteryear, he always had every check box checked, right? Like he read his Bible, he made a contact, he gave his little, you know, his allowance there. He always did everything. But Jesus is not actually the Son of God. He's just a really cool guy. So if Jesus was not virgin born, then he's not. God. So that's why you see the point and purpose of Jesus' life. It concentrates on his birth, and it also concentrates on his ministry, where he did all sorts of miraculous works, and then his supernatural power over death. Are we all on the same page there? Like, that's what Jesus came to do. You see, now, Jeff, what did he come to do? Well, he came to, go ahead and write this down. This will really help in your Bible study. Whenever you read about Jesus, what did he come to do? Let me give you three things um, that Jesus came to do, and these are primary. Number one, to fulfill prophecy. To fulfill prophecy. What were the prophecies about? Number two, to destroy the works of the devil. This is in 1 John. 
When Jesus came, you can imagine Jesus on uh, just the, having control of the wrecking ball of God's will. Absolutely destroying the works of the devil. Casting demons out of people. Raising people from the dead. Incredible, powerful works of God. And number three, Jesus came to save or to redeem sinners. Now, since Jesus, being who He was, the Son of God you will see the Bible emphasizing facts to that end. Trying to say that Jesus is the Son of God. And secondly, what He came to do all of these things, you will see the Bible emphasizing and recording what Jesus, in fact, did come to do. But His teenage years, or His 20s years, in fact, are recorded in the Bible. And go with me. We're going to find it right here. Verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So you've got all of these details about Jesus' ministry, His life, because that's the point of His life. The point of the Bible is not to give you, like we said before, um, how many pairs of sandals Jesus went through between ages 14 and 16. That's irrelevant, right? Are we all tracking with this, right? That's irrelevant. That's an irrelevant question. In a court of law, the judge will not allow it. It's an irrelevant question to who uh, Jesus is. So these are not really holes in the Jesus story because the Jesus story is to emphasize that He is the Son of the living God. How do you do that? You have to demonstrate a supernatural birth and a supernatural power over death, and that's exactly what we find in the Bible. Isn't that awesome? How many of y'all have seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? How many of you? Okay. All right. There are some people who haven't. All right. In, uh, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you remember, right? The Nazis were searching for the Holy Grail. And then finally at the end, as Hollywooded as it was, they're there. And uh, Indiana Jones, and they've got all of these calluses and these cups. And, uh, and, and then he looks to see which one is the right one. And he goes and he chooses the right one cup and he doesn't die right and, and and the other nazis they did because they chose the wrong cup um, i want to put an idea in your mind and, and i hope that this pervades your reading of the bible we've got to get jesus right amen church like we've got to understand who jesus is like imagine it like this if you've get, if you're in some type of an earthquake and you have one grappling hook imagine the grappling hook is your faith your lifeline to god and you've got several options you've got uh, a firm building that's not going to go anywhere imagine that's jesus you throw your grappling hook it's firm and you're able to be delivered from the earthquake if everything's crumbling but if you throw your grappling hook on a caving in mountain a landslide, even though you say, you know what, I, I really like that mountain. When I was five, I went to that mountain and we played volleyball and it was so much fun. It doesn't matter what we believe about the mountain if our belief does not correspond with reality. So wherever we throw the grappling hook of our faith, it must be on the Jesus who's real. Amen? Like the Jesus who's the Son of God. The Jesus who is of the Bible. Not a reconstructed Jesus of some documentary. So, the claim of skeptics is that Jesus traveled to the East to learn uh, spiritual enlightenment. Say, so Jeff, where did, this, where did this come from? Well, there is a, um, a Russian journalist. <clears throat> His last name was Nodovic. Uh, and uh, this was in the latter 1800s. He went to a place in Tibet. 
and he claimed that there were uh, scrolls there that spoke of a wandering prophet. It did not name Jesus by name, but he assumed that it was Jesus. Now, somebody tell me, what was this guy's job? He was a journalist. Someone tell me what journalists do for their work. They look for what? They look for stories, right? If you're a, if you're a journalist, you're probably not going to go anywhere if you, if you report on my grass grew 0.34 millimeters this morning. That's boring, right? I don't know. We may, we may have somebody here from the Rocky Mountain Grass Growing Club and you're just like totally stoked. You wrote that down and you're fired up. Um, that's, that's fine if that's what, what gets you going. What you had um, was this claim by a Russian journalist that there were manuscripts in this Tibetan uh, Buddhist monastery. But since then, in fact, uh, let me, this should be in, um, in fact it is, yes. Right in your sermon note outline of the bulletin. Let's just read this together. Normally I don't put long quotations. Uh, We leave those for the website, for the nerds who like to go deeper. But we're going to read this statement from Greg Kukul uh, in regard to the historical evidence of the claim that Jesus was in India. And we have that documented on the str.org, which is Stand for Reason. It's an incredible Christian apologetics website. Greg Kugel says, There is no historical evidence that places Jesus in India. Most quote-unquote documentation comes from psychic messages, uh, e.g. the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ and the readings of Edgar Cayce. I'll speak about that in just a moment. And they conflict with each other. The only evidence that even claims to be historical was supposedly viewed by Nicholas Notovich in 1887 in a monastery in Tibet. The alleged scrolls about the prophet Isa have never been produced and the monks who were supposed to have to have them denied any knowledge of either the scrolls or Notovich. So you say, now, Jeff, why would he do this? Well, I, my personal belief is that journalists do what they do to get stories. You say, Jeff, now are all journalists um, dishonest? Absolutely not. But this one was. So here's what happened. In 1887, he claimed this happened. And then in uh, 1908, there was a book published called The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, This person uh, wrote what they believed happened in the lost years of Jesus. And they wrote this in the very early morning hours. And we don't have time to get into a lot of the details, but the person who wrote this, Dowling, was into studying ethers, uh, otherwise known as gases. And this is around, I'm not even trying to be funny here, all right? I'm trying to be totally, totally honest. This is around 1908. They didn't know a lot about uh, gases. Like today, if you open up a gas, you say, you know, you need to turn that off. So what you have, and I'm trying to give as much, I'm trying to be as fair as I can. You've got a person who, who, who takes the report of a journalist who that report of the journalist was denied by uh, the Buddhist monks. And this person takes the report and then they try to fill in after playing around with gases, are y'all with me? We tracking? I don't have to spell that out for you. You're playing around with gases, ethers. All right, seriously, go, go do a Google search on out there. Playing around with gases, like in the open air, getting up early in the morning, you turn on the gas, and you begin to write what comes to you about what you think that Jesus did in India. That's called high theology. All right. Y'all like that? This is, uh, so some of you science people remember Peking Man, right? Peking Man, the great missing link, 
All right? And remember what Peking meant? They said, we have found the missing link here in China. But what happened after World War II, there was never any verified um, the documentation or data that they actually found the bones that they said was Peking Man. So here's the thing. Like, students, when you... Here, this is... this. I don't want to cause problems in public school classroom, but um, if you're going through a science class, college or high school, and they bring up Peking Man, say, where are uh, the fossils? We don't have them. I mean, nobody does. They simply disappeared after World War II. So what you have here is a claim that says, here's what we believe happened to Jesus, but when you actually open up the claim, you see that there's nothing in there but gas. And if you keep on reading, you'll get high. So stay away from it. Then what you have, um, 1976, there was a film produced. Um, You can find this on the internet. The Lost Years of Jesus by Richard Bach. He takes the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ, Gas Boy, right? He took that, and then that goes back. And then you have BBC who made um, a a documentary on it. There's an article from the Huffington Post by a man named Paul Davids who claims that this happened. Jesus did go to India. So I looked into Paul David. Say, okay, what are you trained in? Paul David uh, earned a degree in psychology, and he later studied at the American Film Institute Center. Let me just give you a little helpful tip here. When people begin to give you claims about how Christianity is not true, don't be snooty about it, but say, what are you trained in? All right. If you're telling me that the, that the, that the New Testament is filled with errors, do you know Greek? Now, if you know Greek, that's fine. If you don't, just like, look, I don't know Greek, but I'm saying, you know... I, if you're telling me that this is filled with errors, are you not, not have you taken classes in Greek, but are you a expert in the original languages? In other words, if we handed you a fragment, could you translate it? Could you parse it? Could you tell me what the syntax is? And a lot of times you simply have people who are talking out of their head say, okay, if you're going to tell me that there are historical inaccuracies in the Bible, um, from what, from what university do you have your PhD in history in? Okay? We're simply saying, if you're going to make claims about how the Bible's not true, you've got to demonstrate to me that you know what in the world you're talking about. Um, even, uh, this is, I think, 2008, uh, Deepak Chopra uh, wrote a book on the lost years of Jesus, and he was interviewed by Hannity and Combs. This stuff keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. But when you go back to the beginning, there's nothing there. But what you can do is you can, like we said before, make money if you put in a documentary or a book the word Jesus and lost. People will buy it just out of pure um, interest. Say, now, Jeff, what does the Bible say? What really happened? Well, notice verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And also number five, Jesus lived in Israel. Let me give you a a proof here. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, quote, He shall be called a Nazarene. If Jesus had gone to the Orient, they would have not called him a Nazarene. They would have probably called him a person from the east or a traitor to the Jewish nation. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 56. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, his hometown, he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. So this is there in Nazareth. He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? 
And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? And then where did this man get all these things? Jesus, the Son of God, knew how to interpret the Jewish law. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this, is not this Joseph's son? So you have there in verses 41 through 52, Jesus going with his parents to the Passover. This is an incredible event that celebrates in in the history of the Hebrew people, God coming and delivering them out of Egypt. When they got the blood and they put it over the doorpost that symbolized the covering, right? It was covered by the blood. And so when the death angel came, they would be spared. That is a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come and His blood covers us. You see, man, that's kind of a... It's kind of a gross, like, weird metaphor. Well, what it is, is that Jesus' blood, the picture there, is that it covers our sins so that God's wrath was put upon Him and not upon us. And then notice what happened back here um, in verse uh, 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. So here's what happened. Some of y'all have heard this story. Um, Mary and Joseph with the caravan, they leave to go back to Nazareth. Well, Jesus stays. They find out there in verse number 44, um, they went about a day's journey and they didn't know where Jesus was. Mary's like, Joseph, do you know where Jesus is? I don't know. I thought, no. Well, let's check with, with our friends here. Do you know where Jesus is? No, nobody knew where he was. So they go back in verse 45. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days searching, they finally went to the temple. And guess where 12-year-old Jesus was? He was laying out some serious theology for the teachers of the law. And then um, in verse 48, his parents saw and they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now notice once again, Joseph does not speak. <laughs> He's a man of few words. Mary speaks. Aren't those, this is, this is not sacrilegious at all, but I always get a kick out of relationships to where one person talks for the other person. Have you ever been around couples like that? It is so funny. You know, you got one couple, like they just sit there and they nod, right? Like you ask them a question, they totally defer to their husband or wife and they like answer for them. I'm like, can she... Can she talk? Or I don't, maybe, I mean, mutinous? I don't know. Or can he, does he have a brain? It's just funny. All right. Anyway, that's, that's, there's so many things in life that if you just can get the humor out of it, it, life can be so much fun. Amen. Right. Like I just talked to that person. They were so weird. That's hilarious. You just go right down the road and laugh to yourself in the Lord. All right, let's move on. Um, In verse 49, Jesus responds to Mary and he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Like we talked about last week, Jesus is like, and he's not being disrespectful, but but don't you remember the angels? Don't you remember, mom, you had never been with a man and the angel came and said that you would be born with a son and I would be the Messiah? And, you know, dad, do you remember that time where you were going to dismiss mom and and the angel came to you and says that the child is of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? I must be in my father's house. This is so respectful in verse 50. And they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand the saying he spoke to them. Now right here, you could see Jesus. He could have used his, quote, Messiah hand. His ace in 
the whole. But look at the humility of Christ in verse 51. And kids, I want you to focus in on this verse. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen, parents? It also tells the parents, do not frustrate them. Don't exasperate them. Don't be be a loving parent. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Here you see Jesus, once again, subjecting himself to even the leadership of his human parents. And Mary and Joseph, he goes with them. And the word here for, in verse 52, for increase, uh, literally means to cut forward or to move forward to an improved state. Jesus grew and encountered and experienced the whole aspect of what it means to be a human. So, you know, Jeff, so, so, so what, do I, what do we think about this whole argument? Well, number one, what do we conclude? Number one, the Jesus went to India claim is an argument from silence fallacy. An argument from silence means if there's silence, I'm just going to put whatever I think in there. Well, that doesn't prove it, right? You can't prove something from an argument from silence. Uh, Secondly, and this is huge, what Jesus actually taught was Jewish, not Hindu, nor Buddhist. Jesus did not teach reincarnation, did he, church? Jesus talked about hell. He talked about hell. He talked about heaven. He talked about the oneness of God, monotheism. He talked about a fierce contrast with any Eastern religion. Uh, Number three, Gentile lifestyles, philosophies, and religions were despised by first century Palestinian Jews. If Jesus did go somewhere to gain, quote, spiritual enlightenment, which he didn't need to, but if he did, he wouldn't go to what the Jews called, non-Jews, to the dogs. He wouldn't go to Rome. He wouldn't go to Athens. He wouldn't go to India. He would go to Jerusalem. People who say that he went to India don't understand that in a first century Jewish mindset, Jerusalem was the footstool of God's kingdom. It's kind of like, why would you go any other place than there? Let me give you three quick ways to respond to skepticism. Number one, and we talked about this, look at the qualifications of the person making the claim. Say, are you qualified to tell me about ancient linguistics, ancient history, logic, whatever? Number two, watch out for the argument from silence. Watch out for non-sequiturs. Those are simply things that they don't follow. It's to say there's a similarity here, so therefore it proves that these two uh, are related. So finally, how does this apply to my life? Some of this has been kind of heady, hadn't it, church? Can we just be honest? This stuff kind of like in theory. What does this have to do with my life? Number one, I would encourage you, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, avoid distractions. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. In other words, listen to, to truth, okay? But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The truth stings sometimes, doesn't it? Have you ever been stung? You ever open up your, up your Bible and it's just like the Holy Spirit's got a glove waiting there for you and bam! Knocks you back into shape or you come and you hear a sermon and the whole time you're like, the preacher hacked my computer. He know, he's been able to filter through my mail. He knows me. He's you know, freaking out there and feeling guilty. That's the way that the Lord works, right? I mean, it's truth stings. 
And it's so easy to get off into these things. You know what happened here? I would encourage you not to worry about what we don't know about Jesus because what we do know about Jesus solves all the major questions. Amen? He can save us. And He loves us. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Number two. So number one, the way that we, what we take away from this, the way that what we carry home into our jobs is that we avoid distractions. Number two, we want to make His business our business. Remember Jesus said, I must be in my Father's house. I must be about my Father's business. I want to encourage you that in the job that you work, use it for Christ. When you go to the gym or you go to the store, Imagine yourself as a missionary. You know, Jeff, that's, that, that, that's kind of a, a strange mindset. Imagine this. Missional living. Things you got to do. Put gas in your car. Buy food, cook food, go to the store, go to work. And the things that we have to do if we use those things as missional, as we use them for the glory of God, that's how we can, in our business, make our business about His business. Then number three, if you've never been saved, today you can put an end to your quote-unquote missing years. Amen, church? Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist comes with a full bore of buckshot saying, repent and turn for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, for some of us, we can look back in our lives and we can look at huge epochs, huge chunks of time that have been wasted. If you're here today and you've never been saved, or if you're a Christian, you've been off of the tracks for a while, I encourage you, I plead with you. Say, you know what, Lord, I want to commit. I want to ask you, you know, this past week, this past month, these past, past five years I've been in rebellion, Lord Jesus, I want to give it to you again. And I want to put an end to my missing years and my service for you. Because God can change your life radically. Well, I love this story. Uh, Billy Graham, he tells a story of a little girl who was going to get on a plane by herself and she was going to go meet relatives. Some of you may have heard this. And they asked her, are you afraid of getting on the plane? And she says, no, because I know who's going to meet me on the other side. Amen, church? And the Lord Jesus, He said, if two or three are gathered together, I am there in the midst of them. He is our Lord here, and He will carry us through that door of death one day, and He is Lord over all. The question is, is your life, is your heart willing to receive what God tells you?